Good morning. Uh, this is a re-recording of this past Sunday's uh, sermon. It did not get recorded properly, so we're going to do it from the friendly confines of my office today. But this past Sunday, we started a new series called Be Happy. We're looking at the book of Philippians for the next four weeks because it has a lot to teach us about happiness. And you know, there are two interesting details about this book. One, it is Paul's most upbeat book. And two, it was written during one of the most difficult times of his life. Paul was in prison, facing an uncertain future, possibly facing execution, while some of his so-called Christian brothers and fellow ministers actually took great delight in his predicament. And yet, in the book of Philippians, Paul is brimming with joy and enthusiasm. Now, before we go any further, let's quickly define a term. The name of the series is Be Happy but Philippians never really uses the term happiness. It uses the term joy. Now, is there a difference? Well, if you want to split hairs, maybe so, but not necessarily. Happiness, they say, is based on circumstances, on happenings. But joy is something deeper. Maybe there's some truth to that, but in this series we're talking about happiness that is not based on circumstances, but is instead rooted in our relationship to Jesus Christ. So whether you call it joy or happiness, the main thing is that the book of Philippians shows us how to experience it, not just sometimes, but all the time. There's a story told about a tribal chief that told his young grandson a parable about the human condition. Son, he said, there are two wolves inside each of us. One is good and one is bad. One fights for anger, greed, jealousy, and rage. The other fights for kindness, joy, love, and happiness. These two wolves fight it out every day, and it's up to you to determine which wolf will win. The young boy said, Grandpa, how do I do this? The old man said, The wolf you feed is the wolf who wins the battle. Well, in a nutshell, friends, that's, what the, that's the key to experiencing ongoing happiness. You feed whatever it is you want to grow or to be strong. You feed whatever it is you want to win the battle for supremacy in your life. Abraham Lincoln said most folks are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. In other words, it's a habit we develop. Long-term happiness has nothing to do with your life circumstances, but it has everything to do with your thoughts and opinions and attitudes about the circumstances of your life. Over the years, there have been countless studies done on happiness. Research done by Richard Davidson at the University of Wisconsin shows that people who have high levels of brain activity in their left prefrontal cortex tend to experience feelings of joy and happiness and optimism and energy while people who have high levels of brain activity in the right prefrontal, prefrontal cortex are more prone to feelings of sadness and pessimism and anxiety. Every person, he says, has a tendency toward one side or the other, kind of like a factory default setting that we are born with which is why some people are naturally optimistic and some are naturally pessimistic. But here's what Dr. Davidson discovered. He discovered that if you make it a habit to think positive, peaceful, uplifting thoughts, you can reset the default setting to positive. You can become a naturally happy person if you make a habit of thinking right thoughts. In other words, happiness is a habit. It's a choice you make. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstances you face. It matters what you think and what kind of attitude you habitually adopt. So really, the very first big lesson to learn in how to be happy for the rest of your life is simple. 
happiness is a habit that you must develop. Happiness will not seek you out and come in the form of a better job or financial windfall or the perfect love relationship. Happiness will not find you because, quite honestly, it's not looking for you. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, you have to let go of the idea that happiness will come to you in the shape of more pleasant circumstances. Your circumstances will never, and by never I mean never, bring you happiness. Happiness comes from within. It's a choice you make and a habit you develop, drawing on the power of the Holy Spirit. But with this in mind, I want to talk to you about three things that will help you break the pattern of being typically unhappy and will help you create a new happiness set point, so to speak. First of all, start saying thanks. Well, Paul begins the letter of Philippians by saying in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I hope you notice the proximity of these two words, thank and joy. There always seems to be a connection between these two. For example, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Be joyful always, and then two verses later it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. So, do you want to be filled with joy and happiness? Then start saying thanks. You know, it's really impossible to be unhappy and thankful at the same time. The two just don't mix. They're like an acid and an alkali. They repel one another. I mean, for example, you can't say, God, thank you for this job, and remain a disgruntled employee all day long. You can't say, God, thank you for my spouse, and remain critical of him or her all the time. You can't say, God, thank you for my life, and then complain about every inconvenience you endure. When you start saying thank you, you close the door on this perpetual state of dissatisfaction, and you open a new door that leads to joy and happiness and contentment. You know, there will always be things happening that don't go the way you want. Your spouse will still make you mad, sometimes. Your boss will still expect too much of you, sometimes. Your body will still ache and act up, sometimes. Now, if you want to, you can waste all your energy asking God, why isn't this better, or why isn't this easier? Friends, the truth is, the more you think on those things, the more you nurture unhappiness and frustration. The truth is very simple. While there may be some things in your life that are less than perfect, there are also thousands of things that are wonderful, beautiful, incredible, and memorable. Make it a practice to thank God first thing every day and throughout the day. And second, look for the silver lining. Now, I, I was looking for a better way to say that, but I just kind of kept coming back to it. I, I know it's an old cliche. It dates back to... Milton, who said every cloud has a silver lining. The saying came about because storm clouds, which are often very dark, still have a silver gleam of sunlight along one edge. The idea is that along with this storm that the cloud brings, it also brings something of value. There may be trouble, but there's always a way to benefit from it. This is exactly what Paul did when he wrote Philippians. I mean, here the guy is stuck in prison, no doubt chained to a Roman guard, no doubt tempted to say, woe is me, I'm stuck here in jail, I, can, I, I can't go where I want to or do what I want to do, all my hopes and dreams have vanished, oh, woe is me. But you know something, instead of saying that, Paul finds a way to say, you know what, the situation may not be good, but something good can come of it. 
Listen to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You see, what Paul is saying is that since I'm in prison, since my message has been silenced, a whole lot more people have stepped up to take my place, where, where there used to be one person preaching the good news. Now there are many. You know, if you're anything like me, hardly a day goes by that we don't get hit with some piece of bad news. Now, we can either let the bad news defeat us, or we can find the blessing in it. I mean, I've known people like you who've experienced tragedy, who said afterwards, you know, as bad as it was, it gave me the opportunity to reconnect with my faith, to reevaluate my priorities, and to restore my family relationships. When you face a difficulty, whether it's a minor inconvenience or a major catastrophe, make it a habit to ask, what good can ultimately come of this? After all, every cloud that comes your way has a silver lining. See, instead of letting the storm destroy your joy or happiness, look for the hidden benefit. Paul took this attitude to the next level and applied it to his colleagues in ministry who were trying to stir up trouble for him. Today, we have the advantage of history, and we recognize the authority of Paul and his place in church leadership. In his day, however, it wasn't like that. Many people were not too fond of Paul. They didn't like him or his theology. He was considered far too liberal for those who wanted the Christian faith to be some sort of new form of Phariseeism. So when Paul was put in prison, many of the people who opposed his leadership became even bolder in their evangelism, really for the purpose of rubbing it in. But listen to what Paul says in chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You know, I read that, and I think Paul really could have focused on the fact that these people didn't disagree with him. I mean, he could have focused on the fact that these people were more motivated by selfish ambition than love. And I mean, he could have spent all of his energy attacking them and their bad motives. He could have, but instead he looked for the silver lining. Did you catch that silver lining? Here it is again. Whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. Now, where you work, I'm guessing that there is someone who knows how to get your goat. They know how to flip your switch. They take credit when it isn't due them. They get out of responsibility. They have a way of making snide cracks when you do something right and then gloat when you make a mistake. I'm guessing there's someone like that at work, because just about every workplace or classroom has one or two. Now, you can let this person's rotten attitude destroy your joy, or you can learn to say, you know what, in spite of everything this person does, well, God can add one or two positive elements to the mix.
See, in doing so, you're not endorsing everything this person does, but you're learning to recognize good in all situations, even in those whose motives are less than honorable. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself spending a good portion of each day stressed out about what someone else is doing. Maybe it's the backstabbing guy at work or the over-demanding client or the unappreciative spouse or the irresponsible teenager. I mean, if you're not careful, you'll let these people steal your happiness from you. They'll suck the joy right out of you. And boy, there are plenty of joy suckers living around us. See, it's much better to say, I can't control what this person does, but I'm not going to let them get to me. I'll recognize the good they do and trust God to take care of the rest. Well, this brings us to the third thing, and that's to expect the best from God. In Philippians 1, we see Paul's inherent optimism. He, he believes God is in control and that things are going to work out for the best. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul applied this attitude to his situation. He was facing an uncertain future. He knew that perhaps he'd be tortured and executed for his faith. And yet he says in verses 20 and 21, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. See, what Paul is saying is, I don't know what to do. On the one hand, I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus. On the other hand, I want to stay here and serve you. I just don't know what to do. And so he says in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. <clears throat> he's saying, I know that God is in control of my life and your life, and he's going to work out things for the best for his glory. That's exactly what he said in Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now I know that some of you who are listening to this message right now are hurting in some way. You're struggling with anger or bitterness or resentment or fear. I mean, these things stand before you as huge obstacles to your happiness. And I know as well as you do, it's hard to be joyful when someone has broken your heart. It's hard to be joyful when tomorrow is cloudy and gray. Happiness is a tough choice to make sometimes. It's a lot easier to ride the wave of whichever circumstance comes your way. You know, to let this set of circumstances make you miserable and then wait for another set of circumstances to come along to make you happy for a while. I mean, that's how most people do it. But friends, there's a better way. You can create your own happiness. You can develop a happiness mindset with the help of the Lord. I mean, it's a choice. Real happiness has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with your attitude. And if your Bible is the same as mine, it says, have this attitude of Christ. See, this week I encourage you to start sowing the seeds of the happiness habit. Start saying thank you. Thank you to God, to your kids, to your boss, to your spouse, to your parents. Look for that silver lining in everything, especially in the irritating behavior of others. You can't always control circumstances, and you can't control what others do. But you can make it a habit to say, what's good about this situation? What positive outcome can I focus on? What can God do through me in this situation? 
And most of all, expect the best from God. Trust God's ability to turn difficult situations around. Trust God's ability to bring out the best.